0: Welcome to the Directors UK podcast. We're the Professional Association for UK Film and TV Directors. No matter the format, no matter the genre, our featured directors share their approach to the craft. We hope you enjoy.
1: Can you please welcome the director of this amazing film, Andrew Haig. who's going to be in conversation with Sandra Hebron. Thank you. Thank you.
2: Such a nice ceiling, sorry. It's just like stars or something.
0: (laughs) I know, it's amazing, isn't it? I feel like we're in some Hollywood... I feel like Joan Crawford should appear at any moment. Um, Hello, everyone. Andrew, thank you so much for being here, um, we were chatting earlier, and I said the hard thing for me tonight is because I love the film to not just keep saying I love it. How on earth did you do that? Um, so I'll try and be a little bit more specific. But for me, I think um, one of the things that I do absolutely love about the film is the fact that you manage to bring joy and love and hope and absolute heartbreak all into the film Um, and to make a film that is personal to you but somehow personal to all of us as well. There are so many ways into the film and perhaps as we go through and talk some of that might be um, uh, what we'll touch on but I guess we should really start at the beginning and we should start with Taichi Yamada's novel Stranger which was The inspiration, perhaps, rather than the source material. Um, Could you talk a little about when you read the novel, what really spoke to you and what you felt you wanted to keep from the novel, but also how you felt you could make it your own?
2: Yeah, I think it's always, it's a long process when I, sometimes I get sent something and I know I don't want to do it, it just doesn't work or it can be a good script or it can be a good novel, but it just doesn't work for me. But then I read it, the book, and I don't know if anyone's read the novel, I'd never heard of the novel, Uh, I didn't know of the writer, Um, and it's a very traditional ghost story, it's a traditional genre piece really in reality, it goes to like some pretty standard horror territory towards the end. But there is this central idea in the novel of meeting your parents again, and he is a screenwriter in the book. He's lonely and sad and lives in a building in Tokyo, um, and is drawn back into this past of the story. And I think it was it was that that I mean, I, to be honest, I can't fully remember what happens after that in the novel. I know that the Harry character is female and she tries to suck the life out of him, and there's kind of things like that go on. But it was that uh, there was that idea that just like stuck with me. And it resonated in a way that I was surprised how much it resonated. Um, my parents are still alive, uh, so they're not dead. Um, but there was something about that. And I guess it's about a reunion with the past and your own past. Um, and how easy it is to forget your past or feel like you've dealt with it and moved on. And But then how uh, difficult that actually can be and how much it can affect us in the present. So that's what I liked about it. And then I sort of thought I wouldn't do it for a while. Um, and then I kind of came back to it. And I, when, I, when I sort of realized that if I turned the love story into a queer's love story, and made it about two men, mm-hmm. that I could explore something I've wanted to explore for a long time, which is sort of queerness in relationship to family mm-hmm. and how that uh, works within family. Um, and so at that point, I started writing it during the pandemic. Like everyone else, I was stuck in my house. I was actually living in L.A., and I was a long way from family and friends from home as well, which I think sort of helped. Um, and I think I felt like I'm just going to put as much of myself in it as I could. It's not autobiographical, but it's certainly... Anybody that knows me well enough mm. knows how much of me is in it, let's say. Mm. But it wasn't about like making an autobiography. It was about like saying, I need this film to feel grounded. Uh, because so much of it isn't grounded. Mm. Uh, So much of it goes to a sort of strange metaphysical space, let's say. So I need to feel like there was something that was rooting it. So if I could be really honest in that and feel like authentic about that, somehow it would keep it feeling like it was grounded in a reality. Mm. Uh, And so that was my thing. And then I started writing it. I still didn't think I was necessarily going to make it. Um, I I go through this weird thing that I have to pretend it's not going to get made. (laughs)
0: <laughs> is that the when same I'm writing, with every project? It's the same with everything.
2: Okay. I can't. Which, there's no producers. No, they're not here tonight. That's so fine. Because I pretend to them, of course. Oh, yeah, I really want to make it. It's my next film. But I kind of don't want to think of it like that because it sort of puts too much pressure on me to sort of think about what people are going to think of it. How is it going to be received? Am I going to get enough money? Who's going to do it? And I kind of want some freedom when I'm writing it to stay that that I kind of ignore those things so with this especially I was like no one's gonna make this it's not gonna work and then someone decided that they would make it and I was like oh okay So
0: that's absolutely fascinating and I wanted to ask you about the sort of uh, you know how you work as both a writer and a director but I guess I hadn't realized that part of the writing process for you is to imagine that you're not going to be the director
2: yeah but I'd never let anyone else direct it I would <laughs> I would destroy it and throw it in the bin so no one else could do it uh I mean, maybe someone could. I don't know. I would feel weird. I couldn't. I couldn't give that over to someone else. It's it's just almost like I, I find a lot of the process quite difficult. You know, just whatever emotionally or whatever, like self doubt, all those things that lots of us have as directors and writers.
0: So that. So you find part of the writing process difficult or, or both parts? Both parts. Because I, I always feel I'm fascinated by the idea of the writer-director because I always feel that you need to bring a different version of yourself or different parts of yourself to each of those two roles. And uh, rightly or wrongly, I also kind of feel that perhaps most writer-directors are a little more of one than the other. But I don't know how, how, where you situate yourself in that.
2: I'm sort of always surprised that people say I'm a writer. Because I'm like, oh, really? Okay. Uh, because I still see myself as a director. And I'm glad that people see me as a writer. I'm, it's not like I'm offended by it. And I like it, but I think I went into f- making films, wanting to direct and thinking well no one's going to give me a script so i have to write myself so i and then i kind of came out of that like i was never very good at english at school and i was you know i never thought that that would be my skill set but i do i do enjoy it i really the more that i've done it i realize i mean to me it is all part of the process yeah like i've directed some a few tv things that i haven't written but for me uh, the writing is so integrated to the directing that i can't imagine not writing my own my own things but at the same time they are they still feel like different jobs to me
0: but and I promise in a moment we'll move on to directing but just on writing one of the things that you are absolutely brilliant at is writing dialogue so I mean do you uh, are you aware of that when you're writing it How, how does that come
2: yeah I I really like writing dialogue it's the bit I like more than anything else um and I just feel like I, I spend a long time listening, I think, to people um, and how conversations work and how circular they can be and how they can not really make sense and then some kind of truth can pop up in the middle of them and you can say things that you mean but some, you know, don't mean and something else is happening underneath. So I'm always just trying to look at what are the, like, the different levels of each dialogue scene? What are we expressing about our history? What are we expressing about what we want? How are we trying to connect? And I, And every dialogue scene comes out of... Knowing what the intention is in the scene that someone wants, um, so I do I do like it, and I spend a lot of time trying to get that dialogue feeling like it's as natural as possible. Um, and even in this, which is not pure realism, it still was like, okay, how would a real conversation about this feel like if you were with a version of your dead parents? And like, and so I do spend a lot of time trying to get that get that right. A lot of talking to myself, and you know, walking around the room, and reading it out loud, and all that kind of thing.
0: One of the things that strikes me as potentially a challenge in coming to the film, um, but also something that I think is very delicately managed, is the tone. And you said, you know, the original novel is much more of a conventional ghost story, and that's not what your film is. How clear were you about the tone that you wanted, and how do you then communicate that particularly at the early stages of the project
2: i kind of started like in sort of blind panic if i'm honest because i i it's it's a hard tone to describe because i knew i sort of knew what i wanted it to feel like which was i don't know as as best way i can do it is it's both a sort of manifestation of his unconscious longing and um and I can't remember what I was going to say now, 'll we'll just stick with that uh, that <laughs> oh no that 's it that like that feeling you have just as you 're about to drift off into a dream, not the feeling you 're in within a dream, but that feeling you 're just about as you just drift off that you 're just starting to like elevate slightly off the ground away from reality, and in that moment, suddenly everything feels clearer somehow, but also completely mysterious, so it 's like lots of things at the same time. Um, but I couldn't think of any films that I could use, and I'm sure directors here we all know when you sit down with someone they're like, "Okay, what's it like? Yeah. Give me another film." And it's like, Back to the Future. I think that's a film when someone meets their version of their parents. Um, and I, you know, and I, I watched films like, uh, but none of them really spoke to what I wanted the film to be like. Um, so it made me a little bit apprehensive. But then it was just every time I, when I sat down with all of the, the team, everybody, it was just like, I just want to, it's got to be an emotional logic, let's say. I want the film to follow an emotional logic. But at every time, it's like working out what does that character feel and how can we sort of make the whole of the film feel like a representation of that feeling. So whether it's the loneliness at the beginning, let's say. You know, I don't care if there could be 100 people in that tower block right but to him it feels like there's nobody so that's how I need to represent it on screen is that there's nobody there and I I feel like at every stage it was like what does it feel like to be alone what does it feel like to touch someone what does it feel like to become intimate again and then how can I find a visual language to sort of like help that along the way and one
0: of the crucial moments i feel in that is the point at which um adam meets his father and there's an ambiguity and we're not really sure what's going on but well once we do know what's going on we are completely with it like we absolutely believe it and the whole of the rest of the film then sort of follows because we have bought into the idea that this is his father
2: yeah, like that was the hardest bit. That was the, the bit I was like, if you don't, you know, you don't have to get straight away that it's his parents. You know, I know when you see the dad, you think, are oh, they about to have sex? Are they yeah. cruising each other? What's happening right now? Uh, and then soon you realise that's not what's happening. Um, but I, it, it made me nervous because if you if that doesn't work, then the film just doesn't work. Yeah. You can't laugh at it and be like, this is, makes no sense. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of time was spent trying to work out how we feel. Like, it's basically from when he's in the apartment onwards, looking out the window and he sees the train, looking at the photos, slowly be sort of dragged back into what feels like he's just being dragged back into the past, into memories, perhaps, into feelings and remembrances of being in that place he used to be as a child. And then it just keeps getting a little bit deeper. I always felt like, I don't know if you've had hypnosis, but that feeling when you're sort of a little bit into it and then they say, right, we're going to count to 10 and then you're going to drop a bit further. sort of that bit when he's out looking at the field and the wind sort of stops and he opens his eyes it was like that was the moment i just wanted the film to feel like it was just dropping into something else Mm. so it's all of the things music sound Mm. performance everything i mean we had a big fucking wind machine that's blowing of course it's a lovely beautiful quiet moment the reality is like a jet engine <laughs> blasting on the side of the scene. And I'm like screaming through a loud, like thing, you've got to open your eyes. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous.
0: Um in a moment let's come on and talk about the cast and working with the actors. But let's um let's for now think about locations. So you have sort of two key locations And the Vauxhall Tavern, um, also key. Very
2: close to my heart. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Um, But you have, you know, the family home and you have the apartment. I think it's quite well known now that the family home was, in fact, your childhood home. Um, Did you always know that you were going to try and go back and film there? Or at what point did that start to become part of the plan?
2: Uh, when I was, I guess, when I was writing, I just had to think of a childhood home because that's what the characters going back to. So inevitably, it was my own home that came into my mind. You know, I left that place when I was seven or eight. I guess I hadn't been back since. Um, and then, as we were, I was in America and I came back and we were looking at locations and we started to talk about it. And I was like, I'm just going to go back to where I used to live, Sandstead, which is which is there. I took the photo with me that uh, Andrew lifts up, which is actually a photo of me and my mum. Uh, with Claire's face now put into it. Um, and I went and I couldn't find the house and I was looking for it. And I'm like, I think this is it. But there's these trees here now that never used to be there. And I just felt like it just makes sense to see if we could film there. And then everyone else was talking about, oh, let's go and look at this list of locations. And I was like, nah, I feel like that's that's the right place. And I think in many ways it was it was just me being intrigued about what it would do to me on an emotional level going back into this place that I sort of remember and do remember and had complicated memories of, let's say, in in that environment. Um, But then I just thought, why not? Like, let's just see what it does. And more than anything, I think it helped the process because it meant that, I don't know, if I was doing this thing that was a bit weird and everyone thought was a little bit strange but quite intriguing, and I would be open about memories in that house, that it meant the actors would do the same thing and the crew, actually. And so we were in that place and, you know, we're sitting in my old parents' bed and we're shooting a scene with a version of my mum and dad in that bed. And I, which is, I know, it's so weird. It's really weird. And at times when I was like, what am I doing? This is just insane. There was a moment when they were shooting that scene, actually, and I was out in the hallway looking at the monitor and I could just suddenly remember being... Seven years old, eight years old, trying to knock on their bedroom door and them not letting me in. And I remembered it like so viscerally I could remember being that age again. Um, But I think it allowed everybody just to sort of talk about their own experiences. I always think if you're open in a conversation, then the other person will be open in return. And I always like approach work like that because I think it enables everybody to come to this sort of center ground where you're all putting bits of yourself into the story.
0: Yeah, I think I really wanted to um, touch on the implications of shooting in your own sort of familiar, literally, space. And you've talked about that somewhat already, but I guess... I was thinking about the way in which, you know, the actors are putting themselves in a vulnerable position and, you know, a lot of trust is required and you also kind of put yourself in perhaps a more vulnerable position than you would usually be in. Was there a way in which other people working on the film felt therefore that they had to be a bit protective of you?
2: Yeah, that's. I think so. I think like the actors would suddenly come up to me and go, are you okay? You're right. You look like you're about to have a mental breakdown. <laughs> I mean, no, I'm no, fine. I'm just concentrating on the day's work. It's fine. Uh, but I think it... it Channeling
0: Adam. It, I'm really exactly. fine. I'm not Ex- feeling anything. I'm fine, honestly. Anything. Nothing.
2: Man, I'm fine. Time's moved on. It's okay. <laughs> but um, I, I do feel like maybe everybody felt like they should be... Uh, Kinder, I'd say, to me in that environment, which I didn't need them to be, but I felt like they were. And it sort of enabled everybody to be more generous. And there was a lot of time when we would just sit on the bed and, you know, Andrew would talk about his experiences with his parents, and Claire would talk about her experiences both with her parents and as a parent mm. and I think it just enabled us to to get that like one level deeper into understanding each other and feeling safe in that environment mm. and Then I feel like I'm always trying to capture like vulnerability. I think mm. on the screen that's what I like I like to capture it. I like to see it, but you've got to like warm them up <laughs> yeah in all that sounds awful but uh fluff them up to uh to try and like get the vulnerability to appear because you want it to appear and you want them to capture it yeah but you have to that takes time and and space to get to know each other
0: yeah I think it was I was listening to Jamie Bell um in a and a and I think he said he doesn't recall being uh, on a project where every single person brought as much of themselves to the project as on this film.
2: Yeah, it's really true. I remember there was a scene, uh, the scene when he's uh, talking to his dad and like Mm. uh, in the lounge and sort of talking about his sexuality and they hug each other and everything. And I I knew it was going to affect me, that scene. I knew it would uh, because of my relationship with my dad and all kinds of things. So I knew it would and it did, but I was surprised that it also affected other people. Like you'd turn around when we were filming it and there'd be like a big burly electrician like, All right, just rubbing the tears away. And I could see that it was affecting him for a very different reason than how it was affecting me. And so I was was sort of like, okay, there's something in some of these scenes that they work for me and I think they will work for other people because they speak to other people's experience for different reasons, which is what was always the intention, obviously.
0: And you chose to shoot on 35mm. Was that, again, always... The plan. And also, specifically, I'm thinking about shooting in the real location where you're restricted in terms of space and movement and uh, sort of what you can do. What were the implications of shooting on 35mm? specifically i'm thinking about that amazing sequence where they're all in bed what was that like to shoot
2: yeah look i i always wanted to shoot on 35 it didn't mean anyone else did because it's more expensive and it's like do you need to can we shoot on digital but everyone was very supportive in the end and i I felt like in the film there's so much that is analog i suppose Mm -hmm. it's you know records and photos and uh uh and all of those things that sort of reflect the past and i felt like i didn't then want a digital mm. i don't mind shooting digitally i like it but it i feel like it needed to have something that also spoke to how things used to feel let's mm. say even in in cinema so it was always what i wanted to do i haven't i shot 45 years on film but i haven't shot on film since and it does take some readjustment again because you know people aren't used to pulling focus on film mm. it's you know it's 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 a different environment it's i like the environment that it creates but it's it's difficult yeah and in that in that scene in the bed for example it's just you know it's a real bedroom it's not a very big bedroom it's low ceilings and we had a big 35mm camera a massive zoom lens so the dp is crammed into a space about this big um and it's 400 foot mags we were using i think uh, so we only had just enough time to get the take because it's only yeah. one one shot yeah. so those kind of things were a challenge when you're on film. The first like four takes we rolled out of film before the end. I'm like, oh Jesus guys, you've got to go quicker. Just let less pauses. Just like it's, and they'd be like laughing before the take. I went, Nope. <laughs> Get the fuck into it. You need to go right now. Uh, and they were fine. But, um, you know, it's a scene like that that you, you're trying to capture something that feels really delicate, because it's quite a delicate scene. And then in the reality is, of course, you're in this room, it's roasting hot. Um, you've got people rolling out of the bed to try and pretend they're not there. You've got Jamie rolling out so the bed doesn't move, and then Paul coming in, uh, all in Claire's eyeline, so she's seeing everything. Well, she's trying to have this incredibly emotional, like, <laughs> delicate scene, and everyone's like stupid it's so stupid um but like as everyone knows like your your things on the day you're like ah this is not gonna work and then something then happens and all of that stuff you don't care about because obviously you can't see it on the screen so so it's it all sort of works
0: i mean we've talked about the specifics of trust and vulnerability but but hearing you talk about shooting that scene just makes me want to know more generally what kind of Uh, what a day on set is like with you, what kind of atmosphere you want to create.
2: So, yeah, I wake up exhausted, Like haven't slept, my dreams, when I'm making films, my dreams are so insane, so insane, I'm always within... A scene within my dream, so I'm I wake up and I can't work out if I'm on set or in my bed, and then I'm trying to work out what the best angle is to film me in bed. (laughs) Even though I know I don't need this to be shot, I feel like it's so I'm always really tired when I wake up. But then I like I'm pretty well prepared. I I don't storyboard, but I shot list and I do like blocking diagrams and I work out kind of how I want everything to feel and I've gone through with the DP. And then it's just about trying for me to. Stay calm. Like, I feel like I need the set to feel calm for everybody. And I, th- I feel like part of my job is to make them feel like there is absolutely no anxiety. So, the film, you know, we're not going to run out of time. We're not going they can do it as many times as they want. It's fine. You could, we could, could go all day on this scene yeah. and it'll be fine. And then I go home and scream into my pillow at night. But it's like, you ha- I feel like you have to keep it in because you've got to, everyone's got to believe in you that you know what you're doing.
0: And also, that's what the dreams are for.
2: Exactly. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Totally. Y- y- you bring the anxiety. I to bring the, the dream. anxiety out of
2: my dreams. But it, yeah. I feel like I, from the very beginning, because I was very nervous about being on a film set to start with, I would thought I would never be able to get on set and like tell people mm. what to do or tell actors what to do. It was made me very nervous. Um, and so I don't know. Through years, obviously, I've got used to doing it, and sort of I'm okay with it now. But it's still. It's like I've got to create and you have to create an atmosphere uh every day and it's very easy for it to slip off balance and i feel like i'm always trying to just keep it on balance so they feel comfortable
0: so i want to ask you a very uh, a question that only somebody who isn't a filmmaker could ask because i genuinely don't know the answer to this um When we talk about actors, those of us who aren't filmmakers and perhaps some people who are, we talk about actors as if they were this, you know, kind of group of people who are all the same. Of course, they're not. They're actors and also humans. In terms of how you direct, how do you manage that? I mean, I'm assuming that you can't have a different uh, directorial approach to every actor. So how do you manage that?
2: I mean, I I do change it a little bit, but it's always related to the same thing. It's Mm -hmm. like trying to work... First of all, I think the casting is the thing that means it's going to work or not work. It's how you cast. And I always feel like, okay, I'm... Working in a dating agency and I need to pick right the right people who work together like that becomes the thing and it's does This person make sense with this person and that is through looking at everything. They've done It's looking at the kind of roles. They've taken it's watching them in interviews. It's reading their interviews sometimes because I want to kind of just work out What kind of person they are Mm -hmm. and are they hiding things are they not hiding things? Are they do they seem like a nice person? Whatever it might be and then I spend time just talking to them independently I always would I'd never just offer them the role I want Mm. them to say why they want to do it why it speaks to them spend a lot of time just in conversation about what it means to me and like kind of opening up to each other and then on the day I feel like it's always just about working out what they need because sometimes they don't need anything Mm. and then sometimes they need lots of things some people need to talk about a scene for hours (laughs) (laughs) and you're like you're just opening the door and then and then other times they don't want to talk about it at all. And then it's like sometimes, um, especially after a take, I can f- I've become really good at working out what someone needs in a moment. So I could see if I'm watching an action, and I feel like, you know, something is, this doesn't work, whatever it is you've, you've done, but I know that something's coming. Mm. Something is brewing up in them. The last thing they need is for me to say anything to them. They don't need me mm-hmm. to go and make a fucking mess of it. Mm-hmm. So I'll just be like, you know, great, let's just go again, whatever. And then sometimes you need to stop and you need to take people aside and talk through things. And so it's always just about watching. And sometimes one person will need lots of things and one person will need absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. But you just have to respect what that person needs. <laughs>
0: We've talked quite a lot about shooting in the house. Um, Can we talk a little about the other kind of um, key location, the apartment, which was a set build rather than a location? Was that purely a practical decision or how did that come about?
2: Uh, It was a bit of both. We tried to find a location originally, but um, it's really hard to shoot in a 22nd floor apartment. You can't put lights outside. It's just like, (laughs) it's so hard. And loads of people didn't want us in their apartments. It was really hard to get anywhere. So we found the exterior of the building in Stratford, uh, but they wouldn't let us film inside. So we built a set, which is handy because you can make it a little bit bigger. Mm. And then we had LED screens for the for the outside, massive actually. There were huge LED screens. So we shot um, plates on the real location, and then they were projected. Uh, we started off having back projection but it didn't look good enough mm. and then we moved to LED screens which I, wasn't definitely an expense it was an expense but I didn't want to do green screen mm. I was like I can't have everyone sitting in that room with green screen because suddenly it feels like it's mm. not real and when you're mm. seeing movement outside uh, you've, you've got it you, you've, you yeah. walk into that apartment you shut the door and there was ceilings and stuff on and you're like well I'm in an apartment yeah. so it's so much better to get the, the energy right um, and then plus I think it gives it jamie the dp which i didn't realize was the case but he talks about it a lot how you can do a different focal thing that you can do when you've got led panels and what's in the foreground mm. uh so you can see a, in reality you wouldn't be able to see so much outside it would just be mm. a blurred mm. mass of something and he really wanted to do led because he knew he could get the focus right and the exposure right that you still felt like it was very present the outside outside the window mm. and i feel like that was important for the story you felt like London was out there on the horizon and it was there calling him but he wasn't prepared or couldn't quite reach out and and touch it
0: yeah so then two other um questions related to the visual style and and shooting at kind of in and around that set um first of all I guess you that the sort of lobby and the lift was also part of the Built because I think about the sort of reflective like you've got all those the beautiful yeah. kind of reflective surfaces and hard uh hard surfaces reflections very kind of blue palette that you're using for those sequences yes yeah, so actually the corridor was real
2: uh so the corridor and the lobby were both real but the elevator we used we built an elevator and then it was two-way glass mm. so we could shoot through the glass in order, so we didn't see ourselves in the reflections, mm. uh, and there was some manipulation with the reflections anyway with, with, through visual effects. But still, you could you could shoot through the glass and not see yourself, which of course you can't do mm. normally. Uh, so that was we couldn't have done it done it without that. And I knew that I wanted reflections to be an important part of the story and how they change as the story develops and his sort of understanding of how he sees himself. Uh, develops throughout throughout the story which is why I quite like reflections because mm. they reflect something back at you that mm. you don't feel is actually you and so um, I wanted to play around with that but so yeah we built that as a, as, a, as a set too and then I think everything else the tube was obviously real and the club was yeah a real club mm.
0: and then just more generally on the visual style that sort of you know there is a kind of you talked about wanting the film to feel as if it was just in that moment between kind of wakefulness or consciousness and sort of slipping into something else and the visual style of the film it seems to me kind of captures that too and there's a sort of dreaminess but also quite a it's quite a saturated uh, visual style again how did you uh, maybe sort of talk about that with your DOP. How did you come to that?
2: Yeah, it's like I knew I we both knew instantly that if we're going to shoot on film, I didn't want it to feel desaturated at yeah. all. Like I really wanted to embrace uh, the strength of the colour and also not have too much difference between London and the present yeah. and stuff what happens with his family because yeah, I it, didn't want it to feel like flashbacks it's yeah. not a flashback and you know the idea is that the pain you keep within you from the past is very much present in the present so I didn't I mm-hmm. wanted it to have a, a similar visual look let's say but some adaptation um and then it's just a scene by scene basis it's really it's like do you want to do we want to use a zoom here rather than a dolly and they have a different effect obviously Mm. or do you want to use a dolly and a zoom at the same time which has another different effect you know and then editorial it's like when do i use dissolves and when not there's some very very long dissolves in it so when do i use them when do i not need them so it's a lot of just choices you make along the way Mm. um and i i i I love zoom lenses i've used them in everything and i do think they they have a slightly they they create a strangeness that feels like you're sort of honing in on something which feels like falling asleep to me like a dolly you're moving through space in a very physical sense but in a zoom lens you're like i'm drifting towards something but i'm not sure what i'm gaining Mm. and losing it does something Mm. interesting i think um and a lot of films that I've loved from the 70s, you use a lot of zoom lenses, like they have that similar sort of uh, liminal space feeling. And I think a zoom kind of helps that a lot. Um, but you can't overuse them. You've got to use them at the right time. It's like you've got to feel like they're not too present. Yep. So you're not like, oh, look, here comes a zoom or here comes a dolly or whatever it might be. So it's about like finding. I often work, I'm often thinking about like, how do I find myself in an entry point into the shot so when does this dolly start when does it end i want it to end very naturally i want the zoom to end naturally and begin naturally so it's often about where those start and begin and end
0: And there's also a way in which I was thinking about the design elements of the film too. I mean, you know, production design and set dressing, but specifically in relation to colour, I was thinking about the use of some elements of costume where actually we get those really beautiful sort of moments of, you know, whether it's uh, Claire Foy's kind of emerald green tracksuit. I mean, that's just sort of indelibly kind of in my mind now or just other bits of clothing in other scenes. Again, what kind kind of conversations or what kind of direction if you like were you giving to your costume designer? It was
2: really about like what are the triggers of memory almost yeah. like what do we what do we feel you know when we like uh, it's like texture. It's like I need things to have texture. So the dad's jumper, yeah. I needed you to feel like you could feel what that felt like when he hugged him. The mum's like dressing gown, or that. I think it's the blue and the red that she wears when you first see her. Like I think if you look back and think about your family and think about the past, you remember them wearing things yeah. and you remember the feel of things. Yeah. And so at every stage is like, what were those things, and how can I get them in the film, and then also like, how do they bleed into the present? So what Paul is wearing is sort of reflected in what the dad wears. They've both got moustaches. Mm -hmm. It's like I feel like you bring things from your past all the way into the present. And so in the house, the design, the colours are related to things in the house, but a different version of those colours or an expansion of those colours. So you kind of feel like everything when he was a kid has now had an impact on him as an adult and his surroundings are uh, related to that. Mm
0: That's So I hadn't thought about that at all, the idea of you know the relationship between clothing and memory. But of course that's what we remember. And even if we don't remember it, that's also what photographs give us too. So we then the line gets blurred between what we remember, what we are kind of knowing because we've got some visual record of it.
2: Yeah, yeah like there's a moment in the film when he picks up the photos on the mantle, uh, on the He's talking to Harry about losing his parents and you can't really actually see it very well because we just can't. But she's wearing the green tracksuit in that picture and then she's wearing it and and it was all like always trying to find these sort of little links that sort of was making you question like okay is this is there any reality to what's happening Mm. is it just in his mind are they really ghosts is it a dream is it is he writing it is it a story whatever it might be
0: Um, I'm keeping an eye on time. Um, I think this probably is a good moment, actually, to open up for you. (laughs) Yeah, it's really a good moment because look how many hands. Um, We have some mics circulating. Um, Given that we've got at least two questions in this um, row in the middle, shall we start here and then we'll come forward and then we'll come to wherever else we need to go? Thank you. Um, I just want to say that was extraordinary. um, As a queer person that's lost a parent, Yeah, you broke me. So thank you so much for making the film. Um, I was just... It feels like the film is kind of verging on sentimentality or like there are kind of lines of dialogue that I imagine on the page felt like they were on the nose. And I would love to hear how you towed that line because you did so beautifully. Um, and I was also very interested in the kind of um, the kind of dream sequence for want of a better word, but the club that then transitions back to the memory. It's just such an extraordinary sequence. And when you wrote that, you say that you don't storyboard. So h- how did those images come to you? Um, thank you so much for the film. No, thank
2: you. Thank you. Um, I, I, the, what was the first question? Tone. Sentimental. T- on sentimental. End. Good one. Yeah, I like that. Uh, I, going into it, I was like, do you know what? I'm going to be quite sincere about the emotions of the piece. Usually I'm like, oh, oh God, ugh. hide it, hide it. Don't make it too soppy or sappy or any of that kind of thing. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to like push it more this time because if it is somebody going back and 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 dealing with his past and what he really wants from his parents and it is about love, essentially, the film, then maybe I don't need to be always... Uh, uh, you know, hiding everything because really the point is like the love is the important thing, and that is cheesy, yeah. right? But also kind of true at exactly the same time. And then you are still making a decision every day when you're shooting it of like, it's too much. Oh, and I, I just listen to like my my gut really, and if it makes me feel a bit too sick. Uh, then I'm like, okay, no, 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 it's too much. You have to rein it back. But if I'm sort of still feeling like emotionally true it feels emotionally truthful then i'll i'll go go sort of along with it um and i knew that in the middle of the film i wanted it you know that there is a sort of logic he's going down on the train to his parents and um and i wanted in the middle of that film it's sort of to lose all uh attraction of reality or what might be reality so it really did like suddenly elevate upwards and you think well maybe it's just the drugs that's doing this but then he's waking up back at the house and this elongated kind of montage in the middle that might be real might not be real it's is a figment of his desire all those kind of things and i wanted to you to feel off balance at that point um and actually that was probably closer to being storyboarded than most things in the sequence because I knew I, knew I was going to use that song. All of the songs in the film are pretty much scripted, so I knew they were in there. And we got rights the rights to most of them before we started. So, you know, I was playing the Blur song constantly in the club and I kind of knew, I gave the editor a breakdown of like 0.5 seconds. I want to go to this bit of the shot. Didn't necessarily stick to that, but I kind of knew that the music had to hit on certain, certain beats to create certain tone so um but i also really enjoyed it because i was like you know i can just like like lose it a little bit and I can slow motion and I can do kind of different things visually that felt like it was justified
0: you you also (laughs) managed to do the thing which lots of filmmakers do not manage to do which is you make a club scene that looks like a club scene and they're hard they're
2: really hard if anyone's done a club scene because you get in there and you're like you have less extras than you wanted because you always do because they don't turn up and if they do turn up they leave halfway through the day because they don't want to dance and, and look like they're drunk the whole time and so you're constantly trying to work out how can I shoot it in a way that feels weird and I play a lot of music very loud I made them like dance around for quite a long time so everyone was like sweating and and choose the right people i made yeah. sure there were people who had been to the Vauxhall Tavern yeah. and were part of that crowd so it's all those, those kind of choices and then when you're mixing it's like you're trying you're trying to do things with the music so it does feel like it's loud enough but not so loud it's so yeah
1: it's complicated
0: well done <laughs> <laughs> there was a question right next Yeah,
1: yeah, it was just interesting to hear that you actually felt there was a real connection because I've never, I don't think I've seen a film, certainly in recent memory, where I felt so connected to what I was seeing. And I think, obviously, growing up in the same type of era, having some life experiences, I mean, I haven't lost any parents or anything, but there were so many scenes in there. I was thinking, this is really very personal to me. And, you know, it's very rare that a film sort of felt like that. But I was going to ask if. you felt kind of um, sort of a sense of responsibility or the, the ending. Obviously, it doesn't end on a high. Mm. Um, and it certainly could be read, you know, interpreted, you know, if you are gay, you're going to live a miserable, sort of depressing life and die all alone. Um, <laughs> and, and that kind of, it really it impacted me because I felt so personally attached to the, all the material that had gone up to the 95% up yeah. to that point. Mm. How conscious were you of that decision you made to end like that was it always the case or you you know yeah I'm, that... I mean I'm always aware that it's like
2: a I'm gonna say a controversial ending but it's like uh, that some people will want a different ending they will want him to come back from the house Harry's there they fall in love and we feel like it's happily ever after like I totally get that but at the same time, it never felt right. Um, and I I personally, like, I screen this a lot now. I speak to a lot of people. Lots of people are like, oh, my God, it's devastating, the ending. Other people are like, do you know, it's kind of hopeful. Mm-hmm. And I do think for a lot of people, the idea that he has found love for someone like him who felt like I was never going to find love and understanding what that means, which is, to me, love is about being compassionate to someone else, being there for someone else. So him being there for Harry... At that moment, giving him love to me is, a, is the mo- is the important thing that he needed to understand in that moment, um, and so the fact that he can go on and love, or maybe none of it's real to start with, and it's all just an idea of what I'm trying to explore, which is what is the nature of love and what does it mean. Felt like to me that was the only ending because if he'd come back, and I've you know there was uh, I'm not we had the conversations, of course we did. Like he comes back. And Harry's alive. Okay, so that really just means that the parents were really just ghosts. Mm. Mm. And that they were real and Harry had seen them and now they're back together and it's going to be great. And for some reason that just felt like that was just ending it on a level which wasn't going to one stage further. And I, I've talked about this before, but it's like when I was young, I never thought, uh, growing up gay in the 80s, that, that I would ever A, be with someone or find love, or actually, like even get through the AIDS crisis. I thought, well, that that my life was nothing. It wasn't going to happen. So the idea of ending a film and, and lots of people did lose people and they found love again. And people lose people all the time. And I'm fifty. And hopefully, me and my partner would die at the same time. But it's unlikely. You keep finding and losing love. But the important thing is the essence of that thing that was found to start with the love within them. And again, going back to this cheesy and sentimental, it is. But you know, at the same time the older I've got it's like yeah but it's kind of important mm. and I think of people I've lost and I love them just as much now as I ever did you know more so I think mm. like it doesn't go anywhere does it it gets stronger mm. and so I think for me I had to make the ending be a little bit more complicated in terms of what it's saying saying about love but I'm also very aware that people are like oh does the, does the gay person have to die and all of those things that I, I'm very aware of those arguments um, I kind of don't care as well <laughs> <laughs>
0: um yeah i think there's let's take this question here maybe as we're we using the same mic you're working hard um, and then there's another question just behind and then we're going to come over to this side of the room so get ready
2: Thank you for the screening. It's actually the second time I've seen it. I saw it in October at the BFI screening. I, I think I appreciated it more the second time around because I was looking at... I knew what was going to happen. and looked at all the nuances of the story. And, um, the other gentleman took my question away about the ending because as soon as I got home from the first screening, I giggled saying, you know, what, what on earth is going on with the ending? And I got a, I got a thread on Reddit, perhaps explaining it from the Telluride Festival. But... Um, did, was there any uh, pressure from the studio to change the ending, or did were you always fixated on that ending? How, how that's how it should happen. I think it was always there's always conversations. It's like you know, and there was lots of versions. I mean, of the ending, and well, there's versions of every scene, and you go through rounds of discussions. Uh, but in the end, it's like I I feel like this is the ending that it needs to be. And I had Final Cut on the film, but I was very open to notes. Some searchlight here, but, like, but I will. I was open to notes and always really love notes. Really, I would encourage people to give more notes. Just keep giving notes, keep giving notes. But like, I don't mind actually getting notes. I really don't. Like, I feel like it, it enables you to sort of defend your choices. And when you make a film, that's all you're doing because, you know, you put the film out into the world and you have to defend it to yourself all the time. And I do read things and I read, I don't go on Reddit. Um, But I do read like what people say and everyone's allowed their opinion, but you have to like defend it for yourself. So I don't mind going through that process of needing to defend it. Um, And look, the truth is there is no right answer to how you do anything within a film. The only way, I mean, I love seeing things like you know the truth is even if i see a film like i don't even know if i necessarily like it i feel like something is being attempted and something is being explored and i will then probably like it so much more do you know what i mean because i feel like something is being worked through and i feel like films are so often trying to be definitive or they're trying to have an answer and i think i've become less interested in that and more about like each film is me trying to explore something and maybe i didn't articulate it always in the way that works for everybody. But I don't know, what, what can I do? Do you know what I mean? It's like how I, it feels right to me.
0: And each time we watch it, we're bringing something too. Okay. So we bring different things. You know, you said you felt differently watching it yeah. the second time. I found it funnier the second time. Yeah. The first time I was heartbroken. And then the second time I watched it with a bigger group of people and the humour kind of was... was more apparent i guess
2: i'm also really quite the more that i've screened it i'm quite intrigued about i think the ending speaks to how you have been taught about love and how you feel uh, or what you feel it's about so i think lots of people are taught one true love you will find your soulmate and if you've been taught that you're not going to like the ending uh, but lots of people are taught they might never find love, or they felt like they never. So then it's a more hopeful ending. So I feel like it is related a little bit to how you have been, you've come to understand love within your life and within your family and within you know in the world in general.
0: Thank you. I think you had a question. A uh, beautifully haunting and powerful film. Thank you. Um, so you've spoken a little bit about world building in terms of costume and cinematic language, but how do you share the universe that you've created? Because you've created a kind of uh, haunting, different world in this film. How do you share that with your team?
2: Yeah, I don't know, really. I th- and it's it's not always easy. Like, you can feel when you're trying to communicate something that's not really being understood, um and I try and like not confuse it with too much talk. So I didn't bring any other films in really, I don't think. I maybe listed a couple of films, but it was more about trying to work out where we sat within genre or no genre. It was like this like I watched Jacob's Ladder and then I watched like pure dramas and it was like, Okay, where do I want this to sit within the, like playing around with genre a bit and then it is about like we. you talk I bought some uh, Francis Bacon pictures in uh, a few paintings that I liked of his that sort of somehow reflected the colours and reflected this sort of idea of being trapped but still with some sort of movement which I feel like you get in a lot of Bacon paintings and then we just brought in a lot of photos actually a lot of our own I encouraged them to bring in photos from their childhood and we just talked a lot about how it felt to be in the 80s or how it feels to be alone and like what does it feel like if you're sitting in your house and what do you hear what are the sounds that you hear and, and then all of those things are sort of just threaded into the film I, I suppose so with each department it's, it's talking about how you want what you want the film to express and how we can find a way physically to express loneliness or intimacy or whatever it might be
0: this will be the last question no pressure
2: someone's got to ask one now there you go That's one
0: yeah hi I loved it um,
1: so as somebody that's lost two parents I loved what you just said about learning stuff so I've been ter- told a certain thing about when people die and where they go and what happens so I it was really poignant the fact that I, I think I've translated it right but the fact that she couldn't see she had lost her eyes Mum and dad didn't know each other in the afterlife. They were also saying goodbye to each other. But there was something quite beautiful about it. Um, was that in the original book or was that is that you? Mm,
2: I think it's not in the original book. It's interesting you take it like that. I thought of, I maybe see it slightly differently, but I can see why you take it like that. Maybe it's because I sort of don't believe in the afterlife, perhaps. But at the same time, it's not that I'm like a complete... Uh, atheist nihilist either but um i do feel like in that moment it was the last time that they would get to be to be with each other and i i think more than anything it was like we never get to have those conversations with people like even if your parents are still alive now and you watch this film and you think you know what i'm gonna go home and i'm gonna have that conversation you're not gonna have it like you're not gonna have it like i've had there's conversations in this that the character has with his mother that I should probably have with my own mother, but won't have with her, even though she's seen the film, I still (laughs) won't have the conversations that needs to be had. So it's always complicated. And I also think that if you're about to lose someone, let's say, you, you think I'm gonna sit down and I'm gonna say, I love you, this is how I felt, but you don't. Everyone that I know that has lost someone, they're usually trying to make sure they don't feel afraid, that other person, or they just want to be there and hold their hand or whatever it might be. So you don't get to have those conversations. So part of me was thinking when I was making it, like, perhaps having those conversations in your head is enough. That's enough for Adam to have been able to have those conversations. And and I, it's 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 like being – I've known that from, like, even people – because you lose people a lot in your life, not even through death, mm. like old relationships. People that you've not seen for 20 years and you will never see again, mm. they're gone in your life. But you think, God, if I could have sat down to them and said, you know what, you're really important to me. Mm. And so I, I think sometimes you just need to have those conversations to your, with yourself to sort of remember the important people that have been in your life and what you meant to each other, I suppose.
0: So that's a really beautiful note to end on. Thank you for all of your questions. Thank you but very much, huge guys. huge thanks Thank you. to Thank Andrew you. for Cheers. being thanks. here. Thank you. This podcast was recorded at a Directors UK member event. You can hear plenty more directors in conversation by subscribing on the usual streaming platforms. Follow us on social media and find out more about us at directors.uk.com.